Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Hi, and welcome to this week's show. My guest today is truly a multifaceted individual. Not only has he achieved the rank of black belt in three different martial arts, he is also an accomplished musician playing the bass professionally, as well as a life coach, a certified hypnotherapist, and an expert in neuro-linguistic programming. And on top of all that, he's just a really cool guy. His name is Joshua Loya, and we'll be talking with him in just a moment. Before we do, I want to address an email I received, which really disturbed me, kind of made me feel sad. And uh, I realized there are probably a lot of people who uh, have similar questions, similar thoughts, and I wanted to, to speak about this briefly. This email is from a young lady who expresses that she's very overweight and in poor condition and has finally gotten to the point that she really wants to do something about it, but she doesn't know which way to go. She's watched the show The Biggest Loser and says she just doesn't think she could push herself as hard as those people on their work and can't afford a trainer. She says she looks at the advertisements for things like Insanity and P90X, and that just looks too hard. She wants to know if there's any hope for her. Of course, there's hope. There's always hope. Let's talk about The Biggest Loser, one of my least favorite shows. True. It inspires some people to go, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. But first of all, you have a title which is just negative as can be. Second of all, you have these Nazi trainers screaming and yelling and abusing people. It's not necessary. What's also not necessary and is actually, in my opinion, harmful is people who are totally deconditioned, totally out of shape, pushing themselves to their limit, pushing themselves to the point that they're nauseous, they're dizzy, they're vomiting, they're passing out. It's unnecessary. Programs like the P90X and the Insanity, they're the same thing. I have not viewed these entire programs, but I've looked at pieces of them, and it's just too much. If you're already in great shape and you want to push yourself that much further then I see a value in these. But for the average deconditioned beginner going, I want to lose some weight, I want to get in better shape, they're too much. They're too intense. And I believe programs like these will cause more people to quit out of frustration than they will achieve their results. If you're doing nothing, anything that you do, beyond what you're currently doing is going to cause improvements in your physical condition. You'll have to gradually increase the amount of work you're doing as time goes on, as your body gets healthier and stronger. But if you're doing nothing, going out for a leisurely walk will improve your health. You're going to get some fresh air. You're going to get some movement. Your blood's going to be circulating. You're going to burn a few more calories. Don't ever feel like no matter how bad a shape you're in, that it's hopeless. You don't need to kill yourself to get in good shape. Anything and everything will cause improvement. 
It just takes time. It took a long time for you to get in as bad a condition as you are in. And it takes time to get in good shape. There are no quick fixes. Things like the P90X and boot camps and those kind of things are great for somebody who's in great shape already who wants to push themselves. They're also very effective for somebody who wants a short-term quick fix. High school reunions coming up in a month, two months. Wedding you need to look beautiful for. Then yeah, you push yourself to the limit for a short period of time and you'll see great results but it's not a long-term plan. It's just like nutrition. You can go on a crash diet to lose 20 pounds and deal with the restrictions of that, but it's it's not a long-term fix because people break the diet, they've achieved their goal, and they gradually gain the weight back. A better choice is to improve your eating habits and just make it an overall lifestyle change as outlined in my favorite nutrition book, Fat Loss Happens on Monday by Josh Hillis and my mentor, Dan John. It's a great real-world approach to improving your eating habits for lifelong health and fat loss. And you can get a free copy of it by going to audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. Sign up for a free 30-day trial and download the book absolutely free. If you'd like to know a little more about the book, you can uh, check back into the archives. I believe it's podcast number eight. I did a great interview with Josh Hillis talking about that book. We did that interview shortly before the book was released. But to get your free copy, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. And now my guest, Joshua Loya. Okay, welcome back. Thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today, Joshua. Oh, glad to be here, Bill. I've actually been really appreciating the uh, interviews you've done so far. And uh, you may hear my, my dog make a little bit of noise in the background, but hopefully he'll, uh, he'll mellow out for the course of the interview. Well, I appreciate uh, that very much. And as far as the dog goes, that just adds a little authenticity to things. We just you know you like go. it to be real and... The dog wandering in the room or barking or whatever, not a problem. No, he, he's sneaky like a ninja, so he, he won't be too loud. Takes after his father. Okay. <laughs> All right. Joshua Loya, martial artist extraordinaire. You oh, are... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, from everything I've read about you, everything I've been told about you, you are exceptional at your form, actually at several forms of martial arts. And let's just... You know, because everybody wants to know, how'd you get started? How'd you get there? Let's like mm-hmm. turn the clock back to the very beginning of how and why you first took up the martial arts. Well, um, so I was born in 1980. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to th- 35 now, depending on when this is released. And pretty early on, maybe about two or three, uh, we realized that my eyesight wasn't the same as everyone else's. So I had, by age three, I had lost completely the vision in my right eye and I needed very strong lens correction in my left eye. But I was a normal kid. I had a lot of energy. I never really had a lot of immediate attraction to other sports or athletic things. Um, you know, basketball and baseball were cool, but because of my hand-eye coordination, I was pretty miserable at them. Basketball, I was okay if I was doing half-court basketball. 
used to like to ride, like to ride skateboards and, and, and bikes and stuff. And as I kind of grew up and started looking at, you know, art and TV shows and cartoons and stuff, I got really into anything with any kind of warrior stuff, you know, like knights. And, and then I, I found Bruce Lee and, and Chuck Norris. And, and when I was about six, I think, I finally found uh, the Karate Kid movie, um, the original one with Pat Morita and, and Rolf Macchio. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then uh, my mom was in, uh, did a bit of acting, theater, community theater, and in the same center where her uh, theater group met, there was a karate class, very traditional Shotokan karate, probably, if I if I have it right, but really traditional karate. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I just, I thought it was just the coolest, you know, the kicks and the yells and everything else. And I got into Bruce Lee, like I said, and, and I grew up a little bit more and came across Ninja Turtles. And I always wanted to do martial arts, but we didn't really have a lot of money when I was growing up. And I had to be careful of, you know, it wasn't because of my, my vision the way it was. I was also really susceptible to rental detachments. And so had to hold off, dabbled a little bit. I had friends that did Taekwondo and karate and stuff. And, you know, I took classes through parks and rec a little bit here and there but never really learned anything i uh, used to get in a lot of scraps and stuff because people like to make fun of the blind kid and and whatnot because I, I my eyes looked funny but it wasn't honestly until i had lost my eyesight completely that i was able to really jump into any kind of martial arts training that could be considered significant and how old were you when that took place i was maybe 16. My school district didn't really have a lot of resources for people who were blind or newly blind. Um, so I attended a school for the blind, a California school for the blind for one year. And there was a martial arts program there. There was a, a guy, uh, Sifu Anthony Daniels, who taught Kung Fu there. And Sifu An- Anthony was really, really cool. Sifu is basically the Chinese equivalent of, of sensei. People might be more familiar with that title. He uh, He spent extra time with me. He was actually the overnight... I guess, dorm person in the dorms where I was. So I'd actually wake up early in the morning and I'd work with him a little bit extra outside of class and stuff. And he'd show me some techniques and like, all right, you could practice that for half an hour or whatever. And and I really enjoyed that. I was, I was like, all right, this is cool. And then I stopped and got more into playing and in, in music, you know, played in some rock bands and, and different things and didn't really start training in earnest again uh, you know, I dabbled a little bit with uh, ninjutsu, uh, the the martial art that people are familiar with. You know, the ninjas, the guys in black with the masks and stuff. Uh, learned some of the the actual real ninjutsu for maybe a little bit less than six months, and then fast forward to 2005 when my wife and I got married. Uh, she and I talked about like, man, it'd be really cool to do some martial arts. She'd always wanted to do it. Now my wife decided, but we got married in March of 2005, and then in August of 2005, uh, we found our main uh, instructor, Dr. Scott Conway. His martial arts title or martial arts titles are Soke Kiyoshi. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with is, is or used most common with him is, is Soke. So we we, uh, we trained with him. He founded Guardian Kempo back in 1990 and uh, having had a bunch of experience prior to that. And we've been training with him ever since. Um, that's the, the main uh, discipline that Andrea and my wife and I study, and uh, I enjoy it quite a bit. Just as a quick aside, Uh subject change, if you will, 
I hate to say it, but you know, blind musicians are a cliche. I'm one as well. What do you play? <laughs> uh, I play bass. Um, I do some vocals and a little bit of guitar, um, but bass is, is my favorite. I like the the kind of hybrid between melodic and percussive. I like doing a lot of slap bass, a lot of percussive things. Um, I listen to a lot of metal and and also kind of funk-oriented music. So I like bands like Faith No More and Chili Peppers and Tool and Corn and, and 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 I like other stuff too. But I like adding in those different elements of of what the bass can do. I play a five-string uh, Music Man Stingray. Uh, really, really enjoy it. And I've been, I haven't really been in, a, in an active band probably since 2010, but uh, I enjoy it. I've uh, been playing a little bit more with vocals as of late, uh, kind of toying with the idea of putting together a martial arts-inspired uh, metal band. But, you know, that's, I got so many things that I'd like to do. There's only so much time, so. <laughs> okay, cool. In 2000. Um, so it sounds like from like your late teens into your early twenties, you were playing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you were active. Yeah. And, and honestly, excellent. Yeah. So I enjoyed it a lot. I've done a lot of stuff for church and stuff besides, but all manner of, of, uh, permeations of music just cause I like metal doesn't mean it's the only thing I like. No, I, I understand that. No, that's, that's very cool because if you were playing out in front of groups of people, it obviously did a lot for your self-esteem and uh, being comfortable with your relatively new blindness and because you certainly were accepted by the audiences. Yeah, yeah. I got a, a pretty good response. Everybody seemed to, to do okay. Okay. Now, before we get back to the martial arts, um, once you finished high school and, you know, you're playing a little music, what did you do work-wise? That's basically all I did. I was I was very fortunate to have some rental assistance in place. So I, I, you know, I didn't have to worry about, oh, I can't afford to live on my own. So I actually was fortunate enough to have some Section 8 assistance early on. So I didn't have a lot of money, but then I was able to kind of build up a little bit, got a little bit of money for playing music, occasionally did some uh, some guitar lessons here and there, and uh, tried to work on my, my tech skills and, and whatnot. But I did honestly a lot of uh, a lot of uh, ministry work, um, layperson. I wasn't ordained or anything, but I did a lot of work with the homeless and, and uh, kind of street kids and stuff. Um, I, li- I grew up in Santa Cruz, which is in Northern California, and actually where they filmed uh, the movie Lost Boys, if anybody's familiar with that. But Vampires. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And uh, all a lot of those uh, places in the movie, like the the boardwalk and stuff, those are real places, um, which I've visited. It's kind of neat. Actually, the train trestle that they hang from is a real place. They just kind of hammed it up a little bit for the movie. But there's a lot of street kids there, uh, a lot of uh, homeless youth and, and whatnot. And I kind of worked with a coffee house for 25 and under. People could just kind of come in and hang out, wouldn't have to worry about people judging them or whatnot. Because a, a lot of bad stuff happened to some of those kids up there. And uh, they needed a safe place to hang out. And, and so I, I kind of dug in and did some stuff with that. And then uh, moved down to San Diego in 2003 and uh, to do some music with a friend of mine who's a, a rapper, hip-hop artist. And we did a little bit. And then I moved on to the, doing some other stuff down here and did more music in San Diego. Very cool. Now, getting back to uh, your martial arts, I've heard of a lot of different martial arts. And honestly, I've never heard of Guardian. Yeah, Guardian. Can we talk a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. What specifically it is? Sure. Uh, now, just for the sake of you and your listeners, don't beat yourself up if you haven't heard of a particular martial art, because there are 1,600 different martial arts at last count that we actually know about. That's not counting. Is that uh, all? 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> and those are the ones we know about. That's not counting obscure family styles and offshoots and whatever else. So the parent art of the arts that I have my highest ranking black belts in is called Guardian Kempo. Now, Kempo is a larger um, family of martial arts. Um, most of the Kempo styles come through Hawaii, um, have a lot of cross-pollinization between Japanese arts and, and Chinese arts and, and kind of mixed in together. Um, I was doing some reading and apparently the Chinese writing or the character for Kung Fu and Kempo are the same character, just translation, things kind of change. Um, so your, your listeners may have seen Kempo, K-E-M-P-O with an M, and they may have also seen Kenpo, K-E-N-P-O uh, with an N. Both of them are, are basically the same. It just depends on on translation and transliteration. So Guardian Kempo is the parent art. That was founded in 1990 by Dr. Conway. He had had left a, a, another Kempo system, and uh, he had a disagreement with the uh, the grandmaster of that organization. They they actually, he has a lot of regard for uh, Grandmaster Kuoha uh, that he trained under before. But he wanted to do something. Uh, he wanted to still keep teaching and was trying to figure out what he was going to do. And his students said, well, we want to learn from you. And he decided, well, there isn't a martial art doing exactly what I want to do. So let me put something together. And fortunately for him, and, and he's very forthright in this, that despite his gaps in knowledge, he met uh, several other masters that helped build his system over the course of the time since then. Uh, Guardian Kempo is actually celebrating its... 25th anniversary this year. Now, the three black belts that I have from Dr. Conway are in Guardian Jiu-Jitsu, J-U-J-U-T-S-U, Guardian Karate, and Guardian Kobujitsu, which is the weapons curriculum. He found after a time that a lot of students would get burnt out because Guardian Kempo is very comprehensive. It's it, There's a lot of stuff there. There's kicking, there's punching, elbow strikes, there's throws, there's grappling on the ground, and there's a whole number of, of weapons that, that you learn in Guardian Kempo, which is not too different than a lot of Kempo styles. A lot of Kempo styles tend to be pretty comprehensive, but specifically Guardian so Kempo... It, to interrupt you for, yeah, for yeah, one absolutely. second, it sounds like the Guardian Kempo is an all-inclusive with the grappling aspects of judo or jujitsu and mm-hmm. the kicking and punching aspects of a kung fu or a karate and it sounds like an all-inclusive art right and and so the to that end it's really 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 good in the sense you get a large cross-section of different stuff now the, 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 we kind of joke that the strengths and weaknesses of of the guardian arts you know in guardian kempo is that it does a whole bunch of stuff because if somebody just trains in Guardian Kempo and they, they, they go the track and, and they learn Guardian Jiu-Jitsu and they learn Guardian Karate and they learn Guardian Kobo Jitsu and get into the more advanced stuff that's in Guardian Kempo, they will be a better striker than a Jiu-Jitsu person. But they will, no matter how much I train, if I just keep my training to the Guardian Arts, I will not be a better grappler than somebody who spends all that time practicing just Jiu-Jitsu. There's a sword master that I've had the pleasure of of training with at some of his seminars, uh, Dana Abbott. He has spent, he's been training about as long as my instructor has. My instructor has been training, gosh, 43 years or something. This this particular master has spent at least 30 of the years that he's been training just focusing on swordsmanship. So there's no way that I am going to be a better swordsman than one of his students. 
who's been studying with him, you know, but however, I am going to be better at unarmed stuff probably possibly than somebody who's just spends their time just on sword technique. So there's the, the downside of not specializing, but it also gets me prepared for the largest number of scenarios in terms of self-defense. It's the old saying of, help me here. I can't think of the saying something of well, there's the many and a master of, of none. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. Although the funny thing Jack is, of all trades, master of none. The, the interesting thing about that, I was just reading recently that the actual quote that people totally misattribute to, um, the, cause that's, that's the saying the original quote by Ben Franklin actually was not master of, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. His actual original quote was Jack of all trades, master of one. So you should know a lot about everything and everything about one thing. But a lot of people misquote that uh, just as a, a little offshoot there. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with, with Guardian Kempo, though, the, the interesting thing that he realized is that a lot of people just get burnt out. And so some people just wanted to focus on grappling or some people just wanted to focus on kicking and punching. And, and some people just were interested in weapons. And so he, he broke out the foundational pieces and kind of isolated some of them so that somebody could spend more concentrated time on the grappling side of things, or the or the striking side of things, or the weapon side of things. And I just, I wanted to do it all. And so I did all three concurrently, which, which a lot of people do. And then once you get to Purple Belt, uh, which is about halfway through to Black Belt, then you can start learning the more advanced level techniques that are found in Guardian Kempo, the parent art. Um, part of it is, is that there are foundational skills with some of that that if you learned learn them you you have a higher chance of injuring yourself or your partner and doing the techniques so there's some extra pieces involved and because we want to train safely we want to make sure that it, that somebody has the foundational knowledge with with the the three basic arts or foundational arts people can jump in at any time it's a, a rotating curriculum um, and you just get more detail as you keep going up your your progression of ranks with Guardian Kempo, there are some things that you need to learn that you're going to hurt yourself if you try to do it wrong. And so that's why he split it out the way he did. Okay, let's talk about the weapons because that's the thing I know the least about mm -hmm. and probably my listeners as well. Now, when you are working with weapons, is it just performing like doing a kata with a sword or nunchuck or whatever? Or are you actually sparring like fencing? Okay. Um, there's, there's a couple different pieces there because the, the guardian arts is specifically designed for self-defense though more broadly, it's a, it's a lifestyle art. So there's a lot of metaphors and, and lessons to be learned as well that are applicable to other contexts. There are kata or forms. Um, one of the characteristics of Kempo is that there are fewer forms, uh, certainly with guardian Kempo, there are fewer forms, but they're usually more complex so, or, or longer even. So there are katas. So you'll, you'll go through a, a series of, of movements and, and have imaginary bad guys that are, are pre-choreographed um, that you're fighting. Um, and so you start learning some of the techniques and building that into, you know, what you know through the kata. But we also do technique sets that we do, you know, partner drills. So they're, they're pre-choreographed. So like, so if somebody, we use, um, one of the weapons we use is an escrima. Uh, stick. It's it's very common to Filipino martial arts. So somebody will be striking at my head. I'll move up to block. Then they'll strike down at my feet, and I'll I'll do a block there. And and we'll have the the back and forth. So we have pre choreographed, and then we also do have weapon sparring. So some of that, if it you're using an actual combat, well not combat, but like a 
a wooden sword, if you're working with swords or a boken, you might actually use a real bow staff or a real eskrima if you're using one of those, and you, so you'll go very, very slowly. Then we do also have some training weapons called the chambra. It's a, it's, I think it's like C-H-A-M-B-A-R-A, developed actually by Master Abbott so that people can train in uh, with weapons at, at higher speeds safely. So we actually have uh, foam weapons or, or kind of weighted foam weapons that, you know, if you get hurt, yeah, you'll feel it, but it's you're not going to get cut or bleed all over the mat or have your, your hand broken or something. So it allows you to work at a, a little bit of a faster speed without worrying about injury. And then in that case, you know, we also do use protection and, and whatnot to do that safely. Okay. So then when you are in a competition using weapons, mm-hmm. you're not doing full contact, full speed with not at all. bamboo, uh, kendo stick or a sword or anything of that nature. Now we certainly, um, I don't have a lot of experience doing competitions like that though. It's certainly, it's possible. I know of at least one other blind guy out there, a really accomplished martial artist in Arizona who I think this is a cool story. So I'll, I'll kind of go there is he was also a direct student of master Dan Abbott, the, the sword master that I mentioned earlier now, uh, his name is Mike Armstrong. Really, really cool guy. I got a chance to talk to him a couple of times. He had his eyes removed. So he has plastic, or not plastic, but uh, but prosthetics. And he was wearing the kendo mask. He went over to Master Abbott's school, and it was routinely beating his students at kendo matches. And totally blind, no no problem. And his Master Abbott's students didn't have any idea. And uh, he, after he'd beat everyone in the competition matches, he took off his... Uh, his kendo helmet and uh, opened his eyes. And he had custom uh, prosthetics... Uh, made and his eyes were totally black <laughs> so just to kind of mess with the other oh that's scary bit. yeah <laughs> but that would uh, freak you out yeah a little bit a little bit but in in terms of the competition that i've done so far it's mostly been uh kata demonstrations or uh, some basic sparring and self-defense demonstrations i do have i have been doing some outside training and brazilian jiu-jitsu besides there's a grappling competition coming up in the end of may that i will like or june i think I think that I will uh, likely be entering in, and that'll be a, a new experience for me. The weapons, as in listening to you, I'm thinking, man, yes, somebody who's totally blind could do it, but they would have to just have incredible awareness and hearing and just, well, I can't think of a better word than awareness. Because I mean, we're yeah, talking no, it's, about... it's huge. And you can develop that over time. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I can't do martial arts, I'm not in shape, or, or like, I'm blind, what am I doing? I'm bumping into walls and whatever else, you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, yeah, I had pretty decent mobility skills, you know, but I, I, I developed them over time, and I was, right now, I'm, I've, I'm probably 190, give or take, weight-wise, when I started, I was probably like 230, not as much muscle or, or anything at all. And, you know, so, you, so just with, with awareness and with fitness and with flexibility and strength and so on, with martial arts, you start where you are and move on from there. Yeah, it can be intimidating. And yeah, there's going to be things that, that's going to be more difficult to do, but doesn't mean that you can't do it. It's just what will it take for you to get there? Well, balance being a weak point for most blind people. Mm-hmm. I think martial arts training in whatever form you find that you feel comfortable and safe in doing, improving one's balance is one of the big features, one of the big factors, especially I would think with the grappling arts because you're using that person's momentum and their body weight rather than muscling Mm -hmm. them. So I would think that 
for the average blind person who maybe is, as you say, going, how can I do that? I'm blind. Something like BJJ, which is focused around chokes and locks and and grappling, hands-on, basically wrestling, is a great starting point and probably the safest starting point, would I be correct in assuming? I don't know safest. It's probably the most immediately effective because, you know, jujitsu and, and grappling and I and I like I said, I, I have been getting a bit more training in, in jujitsu besides. It's definitely more tactile. Very, very tactile. Um so it's, I, I think it would be an amazing discipline for somebody who's deafblind. That said, uh, there's a guy, Ben out there might be listening, uh, who trains in Tang Sudo, which is a Korean form of martial arts, uh, very similar to karate, who's in Pennsylvania and uh, he's totally blind when he started, and you know that's a lot. It's much more more kicking and everything else. Depending on what you're doing, you know that can be beneficial too because you develop your balance as you learn to kick, as you learn your your stances and and whatnot. So, you know, there might not be a judo school or or a jujitsu school near you, and you want to get into martial arts. It doesn't mean that you couldn't do something. I just want to make that clear that there are few martial arts that a blind person couldn't do. Um, but I would say that judo and jujitsu is probably especially tailor-made uh, in that regard. Yes, I, I would. I would. I would agree with that because it's so tactile, um, and and the really the the best way to communicate jujitsu and, and judo is to either do the technique on someone or coach them as they do it on you. You can you can describe it. But but any kind of grappling stuff, you really need to experience it, I think, in order for it to be um, real to you as a as a practitioner or somebody studying the art. I think just from a total novice standpoint, since I've never done any of this, mm-hmm. I think walking into it cold, I would feel better with you grabbing my gi or grabbing my arm and showing me this is what we're going to do rather than you saying, all right, now I'm going to throw a kick at you, try and block it. I think that would scare yeah, me. Yeah, well, and, in the and even honestly, even if you're when pulling the kick, yeah, yeah, for sure, that would be a lot less intimidating. At the same time, we usually build somebody up slowly, whether we're at the main school where I train or or the uh, the adaptive martial arts program that I, I've been learning and, and helping to teach. You start with somebody where, where they are. You're not going to just go, all right, here, here, throw the two of you in a cage, go at it, and uh, tell me what you can learn. That's just not how it works. <laughs> Well, that's a great way to get people to quit real fast. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's that's actually one thing I did want to bring up. Both at with Dr. Conway, who I've been training Conway, who I've been training with uh, since 2005, and uh, since then Mario Shap, who teaches the adaptive martial arts program at the San Diego Blind Community Center. Both of them learned, and I've had more extensive conversations with Dr. Conway about this. That both of them came up old school. So, like, if when when uh, when Dr. Conway was coming up. If he didn't do his stances right, he'd get hit with a bamboo sword. If you wanted to learn how to do a technique, somebody do a technique on you. It was, you know, when he started judo, judo was his first discipline that he started when he was very young. Every month, at least once a month, he'd come home with a bloody nose. Uh, and that was just normal. You know, that was back in the early 70s. That was normal. And, you know, coming up the ranks, you know, he, like I said, he'd have bruises and whatever else. And a lot of people got hurt. And you got, you get your black belt and you're really, really tough. But there were a lot of people who they just got blown out. And he and some of his uh, contemporaries, as they became masters, they realized, huh, yeah, we can't do this. This isn't. This is just going to hurt too many people. Now, if you lived in a really high violence society, 
man, maybe that might work. The interesting thing that they found, though, is that they cut back on some of the brutal aspects of their training in terms of risk for injury. Now, it doesn't mean that the training isn't demanding, but they cut back on on things and, and were a little bit smarter. And it actually did, those people who would have been black belts before, they're still there. They're still just as, as tough and, and solid, but more people made it. And so you have one person who's a black belt who maybe they're not as tough as, you know, somebody who would have been a black belt before, but they made it and they didn't drop out at say yellow belt or green belt. They, you know, they made it all the way through. Now you still have those people who were just as tough and they still made it and they're just as tough, but you're not burning out as many people. So you have more people making it through more people being prepared to defend themselves and having the development process of, of martial arts training. And in the case of the Guardian Arts, they've had, I think, 31 now over the course of the 25 years, 31 different instances where people have been attacked or, or have been in situations. Not looking for it, because you know, we we're not aggressors out there, but in every single 31 of those instances, those students were effective in defending themselves against uh, attackers or anybody trying to, to harm them. That's a record that you will generally not find, uh, 100% track record so far. Oh, that's that's very impressive. Um, let's let's segue into this adaptive martial arts program that you're studying. Let's talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I had never, other than the experiences I had briefly at the California School for the Blind, I had never really trained with other blind people before. I have a, a long-term goal of doing martial arts full-time and working both with sighted students as well as, as students with disabilities. I'm the only blind person totally blind person that has come through, or at least when I started anyway, I guess I should say, because I've had a couple of, of people briefly at the main dojo that were totally blind that came through the Guardian Arts. And I was really satisfied with what the training was doing for me, and I, and I got it. I realized, though, that I had no idea how to teach a blind person. I had a friend of mine come and visit me, and I had actually trained with this other program for a while. And I, I worked with him a little bit, but I'd never worked with somebody who was blind before. I'm like I've, I've taught people technology and, and and how to use jaws and 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 iPhones and stuff, but martial arts. Well, how do I do this? Just especially somebody who's never seen before, because I've seen before. I, I I know what kicks look like. I know what nunchucks look like. And you know all this. I had a, a, a reference point, and so well, what what am I going to do here? And somebody had mentioned that the San Diego Blind Community Center had an adaptive martial arts program, and. I was like, oh, let me go check this out. So I, I showed up, and this very loud German guy is out there, and he's, he's uh, teaching people how to kick and how to punch and, and then start teaching them wrist locks and whatnot. And I studied with him for a while, and, and he wanted to recognize – and my wife, by the way, joined with me. She, she actually holds all the same ranks I do. She actually later came and joined me there because she wanted to learn this too, despite the fact that she cited – we went and he recognized that we had had some training before. So he actually, the, the path to black belt was much shorter with him than it would be for a beginner student. But, you know, I wanted to, to know, well, okay, this works for me. How do I teach somebody else who's blind? And so we actually have in our group of students at the San Diego Blind Community Center, and I've still continued to, to study with him. And I'm actually taking my test for assistant instructor certification with him this, this summer. You know, we have people who have a total blindness. We have people who are partially sighted. We actually have a guy who trains with us there who's 86 years old. Um, you know, so we have, and, and he has to be careful of, of some, some uh, health concerns with him. And we have a woman who has uh, some balance issues. 
you know, and some hearing impairments and whatnot, it's a whole nother thing to theoretically say, oh, well, anybody could do martial arts despite their disability, whatever else, until you see it, until you experience it and you realize, well, the woman that I'm working with here can barely hear, she can barely see, but she's doing these wrist locks and she's doing an amazing job. And and he, he also got into, uh, Sensei Mario, he got into, and one of the, the things he talks about is the importance of connection. You're not going to see that punch coming, but when somebody comes up to you, how do you find them so you know where they are? So if somebody walks up to me, then you know I can put my hand on, out, you know, maybe just put my hand on their shoulder or my hand at their wrist, and then developing that kinesthetic sense so you know exactly where they are. So if they go to punch you, they're, they're, you can feel the, the shift in their movement. So as they go to punch, then you know, okay, they're punching from my head, they're punching low, or they're twisting this way, so that means they're going to kick. I just thought that was so cool. I'm like, all right, well, let me incorporate this into my training. This will help me be a better martial artist, and it will help me be a you know better instructor because, as I said, I I, I want to do this full-time. And I think as a development of a martial artist, I think it's important to be able to learn how to teach because you know you can do something when you can effectively teach it to somebody else. Well, isn't that also the nature of all the history and all the tradition with martial arts that you, you continue to share and the, the black belts help the green belts help the blue belts down the mm-hmm. line. And that's, yep. you become a better performer by teaching. Yeah. I mean, it is true that if you want to get into competition, uh, we haven't really touched on that a lot, that your teaching skills may diminish a little bit, you know, cause you'll have areas of, of emphasis or strength. But I, I really do think as a well-rounded martial artist, that's, I don't know what that means really. Uh, but as a, it, to whatever extent that I, I comprehend that, I think that it's important to have experience helping other people, helping to teach other people. You get better through that. You learn subtle things. There, there are techniques that I learned at White Belt that I've helped teach. And I go, oh my gosh, there's this other application. And if you had a sword, you could do this. Or if they happen to punch you, you know, then you can block and you can move into this rust lock over here that things I wouldn't have even noticed because I didn't have the context. You know, I mean, I'm a third degree black belt now. I have almost a decade of experience and I'm still learning things that I learned when I first started, you know, that subtleties of things I just started. And I wouldn't have had that had I not been teaching those to new students. When you say that as when you are focusing on competition, your teaching skills may diminish, that's, I would think, just a matter of what your particular goal at a given time is. If you're yeah. training for a competition, your eye is on that prize, so to speak, and you have to be single-minded if you want to do well in that competition. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing too, because y- y- your goal is to be as good as you possibly can be so that you can, if you're doing a, a kata demonstration, that you can really do that with confidence and make everybody pay attention to you and still do those, execute those moves with physical exactness as well as fluidity as well as physical presence you have that those are very distinct skills those though those same skills and principles can be applicable to to teaching as well and of course if you're actually going to go in for an actual sparring or or or, or, you know fight uh where you're grappling somebody or or whatnot then yeah you're you're like making sure how can i exploit the weaknesses here and, and make turn the situation to my advantage it has to be a single minded thing at that point in your life and what you have to, I mean, let's, let's just be realistic. The more competitions you win, the more trophies are on the shelf, the more likely students are going to come to you because success breeds success and people look at the trophy case and they're more impressed with your skill level. They, they can be, although I, it's an interesting thing with the, the trophy case. Um, it's, I'm glad you actually brought that up because it depends on what somebody's goals are with martial arts. 
if somebody's has and and their comfort level with kind of doing something, the trophy case can be intimidating for some people. It's like, oh gosh, all these there's all these trophies and whatnot. And like, I, I don't know if I can do this, you know, because the, these people are really good. It's important not to intimidate people because people they're scared enough as it is. And competition is just one aspect of it. If somebody wants to come in and they want to just do it for personal betterment, then you know that's good. They can they can do that. If they want to do it for self discipline, they can do it for that. The guardian arts more explicitly teach personal development and some philosophical concepts that are applicable to other contexts. Though there are philosophies and, and concepts that can be extrapolated from most martial arts, whether they're intentionally put there or not, you kind of shift your thinking. Um, so there are means for that. I will say you're probably right, though, that if somebody wants to do martial arts for as a competition emphasis, that those those trophies will probably encourage people. Uh, though they do have a little bit of a two-edged sword, like I said, they they can be intimidating if somebody has no experience and uh, they really want to get started, but they're just, they're scared. The interesting thing that comes to my mind is, uh, well, as, as you know, I was in the gym business for many years, and mm-hmm. I, at one point, offered aerobics classes and some martial arts classes. Actually, I had a local teacher come to me, and he was, I think he taught at the local Y, and he was looking just for another facility because his class time there was limited. And I also had several black belt competition level one gentleman who was actually i believe a multiple time world champion who trained in my gym and these guys if you didn't know they were the softest spoken least intimidating most apparently passive people that you would (laughs) want to meet and if i walked into one of their facilities i couldn't be intimidated by this person i might look at them and go i can kick his butt what's he going to teach me right right you know, and before I knew it, I'd be sitting on the ground going, what happened? <laughs> so you know, the trophy case, as you say, could be intimidating. But a lot of the guys, when you're good, maybe you're cocky. When you're great, you don't need to be. And I've found that the guys that are really great yep. are very soft-spoken and very gentle. Yeah. Now, I'm a, I'm a loud guy. I, I talk a lot. But I, I try not to. I don't go out there if I go down to the coffee shop and I'm, I'm having myself a cappuccino or whatever I don't like broadcast it like hey everybody I do karate you know you're just asking for trouble then um, somebody asked me about it I'll, I'll talk about it and I try to take the time to, to treat people like people and, and not push myself as better than I am and maybe that's one of the reasons I, I don't have as much uh, not out there I'm, I'm bad at marketing <laughs> so in terms of some of the other like speaking and stuff I do you know that maybe uh, we could take a, a page from from some uh, less more less confident people or more cocky people, I guess I should say. Well, the way the world has become, you do have to sell yourself because nobody bit, else yeah. is going to do it for you. Yep, agreed. You, you have to do that. I always remember, like I said, these guys that used to come into my gym. It's like, really, that kind of soft-looking guy over there uh, doing the hundred-pound bench presses? He's a world champion in karate. Okay, <laughs> so you never really know. Obviously, the martial arts are a huge part of your life, and you're very, yeah. very good at what you do. And um, Thank you. I would advise anyone who has toyed with the idea of studying the martial arts but has some intimidation, some trepidation, get in touch with Josh. Talk to him. I mean, his website is right out there, and uh, it's in the show notes. And he does something that I would never do. He has his phone number there if you want to actually talk to him. Now, fortunately, that's a that's a separate phone number. That's not my personal number, so I, I do have a little bit of 
a little bit of room there. But yes, indeed, you can you can call me 619-273-3657 if you want to to do that. Don't call him right now, okay? <laughs> but um <laughs> But obviously he's lived this lifestyle and if there's anyone out there that's toying with it but just not sure and you want to talk to somebody that's done it and I, I would strongly suggest talking to him. There are a lot of different forums, as he said in the beginning of this interview, and I guess choosing the one that's right for you and comfortable for you is the most important thing. Now let's get to the hypnosis. This is mm -hmm. an interesting aspect of your life that seems to tie in with the ability to develop an incredible amount of focus and awareness in your martial arts. So as different as it may appear on the surface, it seems like it's just a natural offshoot. How did you get into the hypnosis? Part of that is with the guardian arts, as I mentioned, they're more than just a self-defense curriculum or, or a means for fitness, though I've had both of those skills and, and attributes developed. I'm certainly more fit than I am and, and far more able to defend myself than I was. It's a lifestyle art. And part of that is, well, how can I make my life better? And for me, I've always wanted to help other people. I've always wanted, and that's, that's I guess, has a lot to do with my interest in teaching. Um, that had a lot to do with my interest in doing homeless and youth ministry uh, earlier on. And I wanted a way to, some additional tools to be able to help people. Because while, if you're a martial arts instructor, you don't know everything, but your students see you at your best. They assume you know everything. Uh, little secret, we don't. However, to that end, I wanted some additional skill sets. I wanted some things that could help me and 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 be able to expand what I could do for my students and what I could do for, for other people who maybe weren't interested in martial arts, but maybe they wanted help with other things. So in, I think it was, yeah, it was December of 2009, there was a gentleman by the name of Kevin Cole who did, who, who my instructor, Dr. Conway, had known. Dr. Conway has uh, some experience with a uh, discipline called NLP, and I'll, I'll explain what that is in just a second. But through that, he, he met a gentleman named Kevin Cole who came and did a demonstration, a hypnosis demonstration at our martial arts school. And I won uh, through a drawing uh, a personal session with him, had some really good help on. And at the time, I was still playing in, in bands and kind of helped me a little bit step up my game as far as performance is concerned, um, some of my confidence. Because I occasionally, I, and in fact, still to this day, but a lot, a lot less. I'm naturally get kind of intimidated by performances. Um, now I'm, I'm actually, I thrive on it. At the time, uh, I needed help with that. And Kevin worked with me. And, and then another year later, he was doing a training in, in San Diego. And it was, I think, like 19 to almost three weeks worth of training. And I learned the, the principles and, and means uh, for hypnosis through him. And I learned also the NLP or neuro linguistic programming discipline, which is uh, very closely related. And I wanted to know how to help people. I wanted to know, well, what am I going to do? Uh, how do I, if somebody comes like, I'm just too afraid. Well, what, what could I learn to, to do this to, to help them? And, or what if, what if I have a student that comes to me and like, I had this horrible thing happen to me when I was eight, you know, how do I move on from this? How do I, you know, have some closure here? And so, Oh, I got to do this. I got to find some ways to help people. And so I, I 
I took the training and I learned with it, learned from, from Kevin. And then I had later got uh, additional experience, some coaching from him besides, and had some practical experience. And I later got certified as a hypnotist and a, uh, a master level NLP practitioner. Uh, I've had some personal clients that I can work with either in person or over Skype or, or whatever the case may be. I've had clients where they've had a horrible, horrible fear of public speaking. And is just one session, they were able to go on and teach a 16-week course. I've had students that were students, um, shows you the mode I'm in. I've had clients that had an incredible fear of, of dogs. And uh, this person lived in a, a, another country overseas where dogs are much more common, run around the streets and whatever else. Not aggressive dogs, but you know, a lot more common than you would have in your normal American city. And uh, this person was able to function. Uh, they were able to go down to the cafe and, and not worry if, if a dog came in and was sniffing around, they wouldn't freak out. And this is a, a pretty monumental shift for this person because they, they didn't want to go outside by themselves. It was it was paralyzing. And I, I just started to see what, what can be done here. I haven't had this experience, but the most amazing thing I've seen done with hypnosis and NLP is there was a guy who was in our training group, actually, who had an allergy to hops. Now, hops is a, is the main ingredient in beer, or uh, one of the main ingredients in beer. And this guy was I German. I know some people that would commit suicide if they had that allergy. Yeah. Well, here's this guy's German, and he had an allergy to hops. Oh. Yeah. Let's, let that sink in That's for almost you. a sin. Right. That's so, almost a sin. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, now I, I just, as an aside, people who know me know that I, I, I love craft beer. I don't have a lot. You know, I don't like to get drunk. It's not my thing, but I really enjoy a good beer. So I, I felt for this guy. And... In, I don't know, like a two-hour session, maybe, give or take, because that's the one thing we got to see um, Kevin work with with those of us in the group. It's like, all right, you know, let's break for lunch. And uh, let's, you know, it was a late lunch. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a, there's a tavern here nearby. Let's go have some burgers and, and let's test this out. And so, we, you know, none of us got particularly sloshed or anything. But there was, we had a, a beer with our, our burgers and, and whatnot for lunch. And this guy, he had... I think he had two pints and he, it was actually the same beer that he had first noticed the reaction and uh, he was totally fine. No, no rash or, or anything. Now, is that going to work on an allergy that has, where somebody goes in anaphylactic shock? No, it's probably not particularly safe. That's a, a different level of severity of somebody's allergy. However, when people talk about psychosomatic illnesses and whatever else, a lot more when they go, like, oh, it's just in your head. Well, okay. So if it is. That means that you have an opportunity to, to help move that situation forward. So kind of like martial arts, it's not about being the absolute best of anybody out there. It's about being your personal best. And if you can remove uh, the severity of an allergy, if you can ob- obliterate a phobia, if you can um, help somebody step up their game, better is good. Better is winning. And that's 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 kind of where I see hypnosis and NLP and, and other healing modalities like acupuncture and, and therapeutic massages as being kind of the other side of the coin of martial arts. It's interesting how it all fits together. And I get the feeling we could probably do another hour on the NLP and uh, hypnosis. And that just gives me an excuse to say, Joshua, want to come back and do this again in a couple months? I'd be delighted. Excellent. I think we just went, we just took so much time with talking about your martial arts background that we can't get to everything. There's obviously a lot to you. So uh, 
I want to wrap this up because we've been talking for close to an hour and I'd just like to know, is there anything you'd like to say in closing? Yeah, I think this is the biggest thing for anybody looking to start martial arts. And this this applies to a few other things, but especially uh, martial arts I can speak to is just start. If you want to come talk to me, you can you can check out my website. You can send me a, a, a mention on Twitter at Servant Warrior and any of that. Just just go ahead and talk to me. I'm happy to dialogue with you and, and see what's what's what you need to do. But ultimately, just start. It's not about being the best. It's about being your personal best. And it's uh, it was said that the journey of a thousand steps be, or journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And don't worry about the the other thousand miles. Just take it one step at a time and get it as better as you can as you go at whatever pace you need to start. Thank you very much. This is Bill with Real World Fitness, and we've been talking with Joshua Loya, the Servant Warrior. I like that handle. That's very cool. Thank you. Well, I kind of let the time get away from us. I was just so enjoying talking with Joshua about his music and his martial arts background that we really never touched on the hypnosis or the NLP. We're going to have to bring him back for another show just to cover that stuff in the very near future. And now let's talk about next week's show. My guest next week found me instead of me reaching out to her. After our first show, I received several very positive emails from people telling me how much they enjoyed the interview and how happy they were that there was going to be a fitness-focused program here on SPN. Amongst those emails was one from this lady. It was very kind, very positive, and I really appreciated it. I happened to notice her very unusual name, and below her name, a link to her website. I checked out her website and was just completely blown away by all of her athletic achievements and decided on the spot I needed to get in touch with her and ask her to uh, appear as a future guest. We emailed back and forth several times and set up a Skype chat, which lasted far longer than I think either of us expected it to. We just were having fun, found we had a lot of commonalities, talked about anything and everything, our frustrations with people, our training philosophies, her accomplishments, my accomplishments, because both of us are our favorite subjects, of course, and uh, we just had a lot of fun. We agreed that after she got back from her vacation, two weeks in Hawaii, must be nice. Anyway, after she got back from her vacation that we would uh, set up an interview. And that's what I'll have for you next week. This lady's athletic accomplishments are nothing short of remarkable. She started out playing goalball, excelled at it, and then went into the individual sport of track and field. She excelled in the discus and shot put with more than five world championships and Paralympic championships, to her credit. Since retiring from competitive sports, she has served as an athlete's advocate and representative on both the International Paralympic Committee and the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. She is a motivational speaker. She is a very impressive lady, and she's just very cool. I just really enjoy talking with her. And I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy listening to this interview. Her name is Lilu Jubisic. I'm sure I just slaughtered that and she'll correct me on it next week. So that's next week here on Real World Fitness. This is your host, Bill, saying thank you for taking the time to uh, check us out. Hope you enjoyed today's show. 
Hope you'll be back next week. Talk to you soon. Real World Fitness is a production of the Talk Podcast Network in cooperation with CosiabaFitness.com. All questions, comments, and feedback should be submitted to resources at Serotalk.com. If you're listening on a mobile device, use your iBlink radio app to submit an iReport. Promotional consideration paid for by Audible.com.